from Fresh Air Studios in Plymouth. This is In Conversation With, the podcast from Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. With special guests, broadcaster and speaker David Fitzgerald. I ended up flying with the Red Arrows, doing a documentary in the back seat. I know, it was great fun. I was 108 stone at the bottom of the loop due to (laughs) G-Force. I'm that now. I'm blaming G now. I'm G-Force, your cake. (laughs) (laughs) And And Claire Oatway from Neon Juno. I've represented Team GB in indoor rowing, and it's an unusual sport, and it's an unusual story. Hi there, I'm Stuart Telford. I'm the Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and welcome to our In Conversation With series of podcasts. And I'm very kindly joined today by David Fitzgerald. Hi, Fitz. Stuart, great to see you again. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. It's a pleasure. I must admit, I'm a bit nervous about interviewing someone who usually does the interviewing. Yes. And I suppose it's not an interview, it's a chat, isn't it? I don't it's know. Do well, it could um, become an interview could, later. Keep could, looking into the eyes. Keep looking into the eyes. The eyes. <laughs> it's all about the eyes. So I think the most important question, which we've got to start off with and get out the way, because it is sort of really serious issue, which I just wanted to touch on is, yes. how is Gus Honeybun? Do you know, he never writes, he never phones. He's actually living in the box now. He used to live in Cornwall. And he will be, and this is a piece of news which is shattering, 60 years old next year on April the 29th, which I find alarming to say the least. I didn't realise he was 20 years younger than you. Well, yeah. (laughs) Funnily (laughs) enough, I was actually the very first presenter to be younger than the rabbit. So, wow. uh, yeah, so 2021, he'll be 60, I'll be 59. He's grey, two teeth, rather like myself. So uh, <laughs> he's fine. I saw him a couple of days ago and it's great. It was a part of so many people's lives and he's still there, still selling cards and little bits of memorabilia. I wish right. I had that longevity. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> I've heard some of your stories and hopefully we'll get some of them now. <laughs> So, I mean, do you look back on that with fondness then? It's not something you think, oh, embarrassing sort of thing. No, I don't. It was the very first time I was given the chance to get into television. And it would have been, I think, 1986 I went for my audition. And suddenly the next day it was sink or swim, get on and do the birthdays. And I was there for, what, seven years? Right up to the time when the franchise changed over to West Country Television. Then I went into Sky News, and also I was working for Anglia Television at the time as well, doing various documentaries, but always behind, no matter what I did. As my wife says, if you rescued, I don't know, the Duke of Wellington from a freak skateboarding accident, you will always be known as the man who had his hand up Gus Honeybun. Uh, I can see that. Uh, 1986, of course, auspicious year, because that's when you started your television career. That's when I started Mm -hmm. my police career. My police career didn't go quite as well as your television career, in that you are still in the media yes. world, but um, <laughs> and speaking of the media world, you have a book out. I do. It's based around the Devon and Cornwall Police, in fact. Oh dear. Uh, it, Am I in it? Right in it. Right up to about... Anyway, um, <laughs> it's called Robbery, question mark, which I've discovered you can't actually put up on a lot of websites because it doesn't like the question mark. Ah. Oh, it's bizarre. I've lost my website. I've regained my website. Right. It's called Robbery. It's set partially in Spain, and it is also based on a true story story a story i came across when i was working for sky news and i've managed to blend two together i can't give you the ending because it would actually give away the slight twist in the plot but a devon and cornwall police officer and a london police officer go looking for a particular gentleman who has raided 
the safe deposit box, which is fairly easy to do. There have been many, maybe you've, I don't know whether you attended them in your police career, because you can break into a safe deposit box and chances are the person that owns the box doesn't want to report what was stolen. Absolutely, mm. yes. There was always the big question mark about every reported burglary of safe deposit boxes. The value of what was stolen was probably about four times what was ever declared. Yes. Or alternatively, an empty box suddenly developed, uh, oh, there's a gold bar missing that was worth millions. Millions, yeah. That's, that is the problem, yeah. yes. So, yeah, it's out now. It's only on Kindle. And if you type in David Fitzgerald and robbery, you get through to a David Fitzgerald, who's now doing seven years, I think, in Wyoming, in America. Ah. Same name, same offence. Ah. Uh, mm. Mm. <laughs> yes, definitely not you, though. Not me. You, I can say to our listeners, you are definitely in the studio with me. Although, uh, separate, it's quite weird. I'm talking to you through a plastic screen. It this is. is all the joys of the post-COVID world, I suppose. Have you ever met another Stuart Elford? No, there's only about three or four in the world. I thought I was unique. Well, I am unique, clearly. Yes. But I thought I was unique. But I got contacted by a lady in Australia who was trying to track down a different Stuart Elford. Oh, right. And then I was looking up rather vainly, as one does every now and again, Googling one's name, and all these Stuart Elford race results came up for yacht racing. And I thought, well, I did race yachts, but I don't remember being in that race. And there's a, ironically, or coincidentally, there's a different Stuart Elford in Portsmouth who races yachts. Ah, right. Because I know there's a David Fitzgerald who is a racing commentator right. who I have never met. There was David Fitzgerald who was the producer of Poirot and we were working in the same studios. I got a bill for £147,000 and he got my £42.50 expense claim. <laughs> which, so yeah, there is some confusion. If you're typing in David Fitzgerald, no, I'm not in prison in Wyoming and no, I don't produce Poirot. But you are, I believe, correctly credited with having written for The Bill and Spitting Image. Yeah, The Bill was, that was years ago. And to be honest with you, it wasn't that successful. Spitting Image, definitely. I found the letter only a few days ago. I got round to actually clearing out one of my cupboards and there was a Spitting Image. Oh, what was the producer's name? There was Georgina Pritchett and Anil Gupta. And Anil Gupta is now working on Citizen Khan. Right. But he very kindly accepted a couple of my scripts. One went to air. Unfortunately, never got to see it. Um, oh, right. And it's, it's out there somewhere. In fact, it was based around Officer Dimbleby, maybe my police obsession. <laughs> <laughs> but it went out very funny. And I, I seem to say so myself. I was actually a lot funnier than I thought I was. It went out and I got a repeat fee for 32 and a half pence from Czechoslovakia. To be honest with you, it wasn't that funny in English, and I quite know what the, uh, the Czech <laughs> sort of it. Made of it yeah. <laughs> so it was a very small check. Very small check. Yes, what <laughs> Yeah, that's really bizarre, isn't it? I mean, you've had quite a career. I have been reliably informed that there is a 1995 Trivial Pursuit question about you. Yes, it went out in a specific edition. It was, when I first joined Sky, it was quite a fledgling company, and I sat there one night, waffling away as I do, and my producer walked in and said, I'm not too sure what's going on, but there's a man driving down Sunset Boulevard with a gun to his own head. He's called O.J. Simpson. Oh, I was Can you... Be- yeah, can you look at the rip and read? That's the sheets of information coming from all the world's press and make some sort of commentary on it. And that was an hour and 45 minutes later, I stood up in a pool of sweat and makeup. The makeup was beginning to run. And that was possibly the longest ever ad lib in television history. And the gentleman who wrote Trivial Pursuit was watching and stuck it in um, over O.J. Simpson. Of course, four years later, we were still talking about him and still following the court case on air, which was incredible to sit through. Absolutely incredible.
And is that the only time? I'm sure it's not the only time. Is that the scariest time you've had on air? What's the most frightening thing that's happened? There must have been something where you thought, oh, I really don't want cameras and microphones on me now. The set's fallen on me every now and again. Actually, twice the set gave way. Literally, this sort of thing. I'm not going to touch it just in case it does come down. No, please don't. It's very uh, expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Both at Television Southwest and at Sky, I ended up flying with the Red Arrows, doing a documentary in the back seat. I know, it was great fun. I was 108 stone at the bottom of the loop due to (laughs) G-Force. I'm that now. I'm blaming G now. I'm G-Force, your cake. (laughs) (laughs) What am I saying? A damn sight lighter than I am, although I managed to lose, believe it or not, two and a half stone over the last couple of years. It shows well done. You know, but the Red Arrow is brilliant, but flying at three, four hundred miles an hour, and they tried to black me out. It's when they do what I think, it's a thing called the Battle of Britain turn, and I stayed conscious to a tremendous round of applause but unfortunately another person who was trying to get in to the red arrows did black out he was a gr7 a harrier pilot as soon as that happens unfortunately i had to witness out of the aircraft to one side i'm sorry that's the end of your attempt to get in but they were wonderful people Gutting for him, but I guess I don't feel too sorry for a guy who's still allowed to fly Harriers. And Oh, yeah. I mean, flying a fast jet would be my dream. That'd just make it. Yeah, I never got into fast jets. One of the guys invited me to go up to one of the Welsh stations, Brody. I can't remember the name of the station that he was at. And they said, look, I'll take you up in a Jaguar. But I just couldn't do it. I'd love to have done that. I have seen so many jets. I used to, when we were in RAF Aquateria, I'll now break the Secrets Act, the U-2, you would take off each morning. That's right. And uh, I said, that plane's not there. I said, shh, quiet. What do you mean, shush, quiet? You can hear it in Cyprus (laughs) as it took off. But it's top secret. It's top secret. It's not Not there. there. No, I'd love to do it as well. Still to come... Roadway from Neon Juno. Yeah, at the heart of Neon Juno is an ambition to lift up leadership across the globe. And that's part of the reason why the blogs are there. That's part of the reason why I'm spinning out small online courses. Follow the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce on Twitter at Chamber underscore Devon and search for us on LinkedIn. Make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. Hit subscribe now. I'm amazed they actually let you in the plane because your bio says that you've been at the front of every disaster for 10 years. I must admit, um, <laughs> I was actually burying more people than typhoid. Every time I sat down on Sky, one of my producers would cross himself, two wouldn't work with me, and it really was. We were joking about it, and I just sat down and there would be another air crash. The rather sad tale to that is I sat down one night and there was a Floridian air crash, which when people were killed, the only thing is my then five-year-old son was watching at home and he got it into his mind that I was in the air crash. Oh, no. And I had to phone him after the bulletin just to say, you know, good night and what are you doing up this late? (laughs) But it's very odd the way television works. My two nephews, one actually went behind the screen when I was on to look for me. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, I guess. Odd. Yeah, I can understand. And have there been moments when you're you're on air and you're coming up to that unpronounceable name and you think, I'm going to stuff this. I'm not going to get their name right. No, this is when the art of just staring down the camera and saying it. Now, <laughs> we used to do this on a regular basis on Sky and the newsreader on the BBC would then copy me until somebody who actually knew what they were doing came in and said, what are you saying? He said, oh, no, 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 the fat bloke on Sky, he just said it this way. It must be true. But still to this day, the best one I've ever had to pronounce is Balewa. And Balewa was the ruler of then Mozambique and he was isolated due to an eye disease that was breaking out, which was called nominal tramoscoscopic syncophaconokinesis. And I asked, what? What do we do if Sir Abba Bakadafara Balewa catches nominal tramoscoscopic syncophaconokinesis? And everyone went, 
it's not going to happen, Fitz. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Cut to the adverts, I think, is what happens if that happens. God. Amazing names. Dabadinki yeah. Satole, Bishop Abel Muzarewa, I'm just trying to think, Zalim Kam Yandabayev, El Mahak Vajpayi Ramkasun. These are all names from my you sure past. you're not just making these up as you go along? You don't do this. This is very dangerous. You've got to get the names right. And actually, that was something you could cause great offence, because don't forget, Sky was worldwide. Yeah, yeah. So you had to get it right, and you had to get it right first time. Well, fortunately, Doug, I never get any names wrong. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get on it, Martin. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You, in recent times, have been very kind to help out the, the chamber, amongst others, but doing the sort of after-dinner circuit, the awards, the Lord's Taverners stuff. What got you into that? Do you enjoy it, or is it just paying the way? It's not the paying the way, because I don't tend to get paid. <laughs> Hint. Um, <laughs> Noted. <laughs> no, when it comes to things like Lord Taverners or the Royal British Legion, which I help out and... The food banks, which is the absolute opposite end, I love to help out a community. I am part of that community. The community has put up with me for 30-odd years, 40 years now since I joined radio. I do like to see, and especially what you do with the community as well, is help out business. And, you know, we did the awards together. Some incredible people in very difficult times. Yeah. And it was lovely to see. Also, there is that link. I still work for BBC Radio Devon, and I'll suddenly say, oh, by the way, yes, yeah, Stuart, he talked about X, Y, Z. We're not a commercial radio station, but we do love good news stories. Yeah. And you've got some incredible people out there. So, yes, I do enjoy talking to the community, and it's great to be at the centre of saying well done and thank you. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I said at the awards, I think it's a privilege doing my job because I get to go and see all these fantastic businesses mm. doing fantastic things. I wish I could take the whole community with me on my back and show them as well because it's no secret. I get fed up with that slight thing we have in this part of the world where we're, oh, it's just little old Plymouth. Oh, it'll never happen here. Oh, oh there's no. not a lot of good going on here. No. And actually, no, it is. Look at the fantastic things that are going on. Look at the box. Look at Royal William Yard. Look at yeah. all the brilliant businesses we have, all the exports that are going around the world. I think this is a fantastic region. When you sit on the A38 and you watch the delivery vans going up from Devon to other parts of the country at better times, maybe still the super yachts going out of Princess Yachts, yeah. Langage Farm, uh, who've got contracts with Marks and Spencers and Aldi and Lidl and actually sending stuff over to Japan as well. It's big business. And at times people don't shout about it and they should, which is why people use you. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And in fact, Paul Winterton from Langage has agreed to be on in conversation with as well. So that's fantastic. Brilliant. I look forward to talking to him. It's a really fascinating company and they're doing amazing things. I suppose to wrap up, I ought to ask you, I mean, a couple of things really. One is, what do you love about the region and what frustrates you about it? Ah, what do I love? Well, I love wildlife. I go out bird watching most weekends. The highlight of my year this year, ornithologically, was a friend of mine said, come up to Dartmoor, where I was born, and we'll go watching for night jars. Never seen one. I'm 58 now. And there it was, looking like a hawk, just fluttering above my head. And that was the main image of 2020. It was magical to me. I love to see the trees. I love to see the rolling hills. What frustrates me, yes, we are on the end of every communication network going. And having worked in London, what frustrated me there was, oh, you live where? Devon. Yes, I went to Bath once. Thank you, yeah. Minister. And it was a, yeah. an MP that said, oh, Devon, yes, it's between Cornwall and France. Do you remember us? <laughs> That's what frustrates me. And yeah. also, I know Devon, I went to Bude once for summer holidays. Yeah. I think Bude is actually so isn't, isn't even Devon. Yeah. Never mind. Okay, yeah. leave it. That's what frustrates me. Ignorance. 
Yeah, I get that. And that's part of why I like to shout about what's great in this region. It's a wonderful region. And I think, you know, post-pandemic actually is a real opportunity for us in the southwest because people have realised that you don't need to commute into London on a crowded, smoky, infected tube train. You can actually work remotely. You can base your business anywhere. And what a great place to do business. Yes, indeed. This is going to be a time of expansion when it comes to doing things like this. Technically, if we have the know-how and the backup, then it's going to be an interesting and very different time ahead of us. I have a meeting twice a week with the chief executives of all the chambers around the country on Zoom, and they are all incredibly jealous when I finish a meeting and say, do you know, in 10 minutes I can be on the beach? Yeah. And they're all stuck in their sort of cosmopolitan smoky area, and I think we are so lucky. Fabulous region. Well, this weekend I will go out. I'll be looking for waxwings, which is a beautiful bird. Looks like Lady Gaga. It's arrived from uh, Russia and it hangs about in car parks. <laughs> it's true because very kindly, a lot of supermarkets have planted rowan trees there, which are now heavy with berry. And one of the most beautiful, and to me, one of the rarest birds is now, I've never seen one, but somebody, there's a whole network of people start to phone each other. Nip down to Sainsbury's car park. There are waxwings. I'm like, yes, I'm off. <laughs> We used to, when, I mean, thinking back to the police days, I remember we used to frequently get called to car alarms that were birds. And birds learned to mimic car alarms. It's absolutely starlings. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, starlings are dreadful. And also, occasionally, car alarms are set off by birds fighting themselves in wing mirrors. And I used to watch a, a wagtail, and it would challenge itself. And there'd be <clears throat> lots of wagtail poop everywhere and the car <laughs> alarm going off. <laughs> Well, I can't think of a better way to end this interview than talking about uh, bird poop. But um, no. Yes. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being a supporter of the Chamber. I really appreciate your time. And thanks, Fitz. It's great. Great to be here, Stuart. Thank you very much. And now, Chambermaid, introducing business owners from across the southwest. Hello there and welcome back to our second part of the In Conversation With podcast. This is Chamber Made, where we speak to some of our members about their businesses and what inspired them. I'm thrilled to be joined by Claire Oatway from the fabulously named Neon Juno. Claire, you're a relatively new starter, aren't you? I'm a new starter as an independent, yeah. So Neon Juno was formed, born on the 1st of October last year. So just over 100 days in and having a ball. Haven't felt more alive and more scared and more rewarded (laughs) in a long time. Well, very brave of you to start in these times because a lot of people would be scared of that. And I was going to ask you how you felt about starting, but you've told me, you know, sort of scared and inspired and all that sort of thing. Now, Little Birdie tells me 100 days is quite an important day and quite an important number, 100 something. You're the top 100. You're top 100. What are you top 100 in? So my business is a leadership consultancy and I've been specialising in leadership and management and strategy for some time. But to build up the business, I've been blogging and getting my thoughts out there. And just before Christmas was recognised as one of the top 100 leadership blogs, websites or influencers in the world. In the world. That's fantastic. Now, normally we talk about the history of your business, but it's only 100 days, so we can't do that. But you've got an interesting history yourself. Now, I know from a work point of view, you used to work for Beacon Medical Group, but you also have a quite unusual sort of sporting background. 
Yeah, this isn't for video or for audio, but on my left hip, I have a tattoo of the Team GB logo, which is one of those hidden Zoom questions you never answer. But I've represented Team GB in indoor rowing, and it's an unusual sport, and it's an unusual story in that I'd joined a rowing team, you know, moved to Cornwall, joined a rowing team to settle in and meet new people. And over the winter, we trained together. And you go to the gym and the woman at the gym says, oh, you're really good at this rowing. It's like, yeah, okay, okay. You should compete. Okay. And I did. And I kept winning. So I kept winning regional races and then got onto the international circuit. And so I am officially one of the top 20 heavyweight open women in the world which is really cool. So flew out to Boston, I've flown to Paris for seven minute races. And it was just an incredible experience in terms of the training, in terms of the mindset, in terms of determination, in terms of confidence. And it really changed my outlook on life. I have some bad news for you. Firstly, this is live, so we can't cut that out. No, it isn't really live. But I'm telling you, we're not editing out about the fact you've got a Team GB tattoo. We've got to include that. That's fantastic. It's one of those interview questions, isn't it? Tell us something that would surprise us. (laughs) I'm suitably surprised. But that actually must have influenced your business career as well, if you like, that you achieved such success through hard work and determination. What have you? How has that influenced what you've done to starting Neon Juno? It really cracked wide open my aspirations. I'm a Plymouth girl, born and bred, and you know, had tended towards the geeky side of the spectrum um so wasn't really very confident and you know even though people could spot that I knew what I was talking about I just I was shy in meetings I didn't speak up I didn't challenge and then to go that far in a sport that I didn't even know I could do what could I achieve where could I go and you know it's almost the equivalent of strapping onto a rocket in terms of confidence (laughs) And in my LinkedIn profile, kind of my first line is that anything is possible. And that experience really instilled in me that anything is. And that actually, you know, if you can overcome your mindset and your fears, you know, you can really push yourself way beyond your comfort zone. And that is where magic really happens. Do you know, I won't be able to remember word for word the whole quote, but one of my favourite sports people of all time is Muhammad Ali. And he says a quote about how impossible is just a big word thrown around by small people who find it easier to accept what they've been given than explore their possibilities to change it. And I think, yeah, that's good. It's worth looking up because he goes on about how it's a declaration, not a dare. You know, it's kind of, I really find that inspiring. How have you put that into Neon Juno? What do you do? What's different about Neon Juno? There's a lot that is around mindset, almost certainly. And when I took the helm at Beacon Medical Group, they were a newly merged organisation of three practices into one, supporting just over 30,000 patients. And we created a whole new culture, a whole new structure, changed the service design, developed an international reputation for doing things well, and really transformed what should be delivered in primary care. So the business side is there, the strategy is there, how you bring a team along. But that mindset element of well, stop thinking why, go to why not. Just start pushing that little bit further. You really can do it. Just break it down, build up momentum. And so a lot of my articles really do focus in on mindset, on motivation, on persistence, 
I'm writing one at the moment about Tough Mudder and, you know, how kind of you get right the way through the race and at the very end there's this really evil wall that you have to climb up and you're soggy, exhausted and muddy, but you've still got to do it. And I think it's so important for business leaders right now to lift up their heads and lift up their hearts and they can achieve. And so that's what I try to bring through Neon Juno is all the practical strategy, all the tools but a heavy dose of, yeah, you can do it. If I can do this, you can do that. If you'd like to feature on a future episode of In Conversation With, send an email to info at freshairstudios.com. Well, it's funny you should say about business leaders lifting up their heads and their hearts at the moment. I think it's a particularly important time for business leaders to do that because we're all feeling it. We're all feeling the struggles with the pandemic, with our own businesses and so forth. And actually, as business leaders, it's incumbent on us to look on the positives and to try to drive things forward, not to get too downtrodden by all this. Oh, absolutely. That's not to diminish where people are right now. And so, you know, there are so many great leadership tales at the moment of people being there for their teams, lifting them up. And I know that it takes a really heavy toll as a leader navigating through that crisis. I've seen it before in other shocks within the council, for example. But actually, if you look forward... We still need to be in business in three months' time, in 12 months' time, in three years' time. There's still those imperatives to evolve and adapt. And one of the things that I've seen over the last 12 months is how fast technology has kind of travelled. It's almost been a time machine for technology. We've made 10-year advances in 12 months. We're doing things we never thought were possible. And that just brings automation much closer. It brings global threats much closer than we would expect and so whilst we're here in reactive we can get caught in that place for a long time but we really still need to be looking ahead and preparing for that and building our teams up so that they're ready to embrace the future. Absolutely I think that the pandemic accelerated a number of things digitally it accelerated a number of getting our processes and systems right but I don't belittle at all what people are feeling. I decided earlier on that I would be completely authentic with the membership and when I'm struggling I'll tell them I'm struggling because it's nice to know that someone else out there isn't on top of it outwardly facing I'm usually very gregarious and outgoing and upbeat and positive but I make no secret of the fact that I've really struggled in these times I'm a social animal I like to be out shaking hands and meeting people I wish you were sat opposite me in a studio not talking down the line but you're right there's a positive to come out of this and we are I think the economy end is going to bounce back massively after this really quickly actually because of pent-up demand but I also think that this city county and region has a real almost once in a lifetime chance to show that you know you can be based anywhere and be successful look at what you've done you know and this is a fabulous part of the world to do business absolutely before i moved to beacon i spent over a decade within plymouth city council in strategy roles and just seeing the incredible talent that is here just seeing how competitive we can be how ambitious we are how much we want for our city it's not quite realized and we've almost been gifted this opportunity and the world is much smaller than it was just a few months ago so we need to grab it absolutely coming back to neon juno then you've only been going a few months so what next where are you taking this business are you going to take over the world do you need to buy a white cat and a gray suit and <laughs> to be honest i have got lofty goals you know, at the heart of Neon Juno is an ambition to lift up leadership across the globe. 
And that's part of the reason why the blogs are there. That's part of the reason why I'm spinning out small online courses is that there doesn't have to be a mystery. There doesn't have to be a business school that teaches you good leadership. There are small, easy steps you can take. And I want to help empower people in that way. So as the business develops, you know, kind of look forward six months time or maybe have five or six people that I'm working with really closely and supporting and pushing and helping them to grow their businesses. But as on the side of these spinning out all this goodness to help lift people up, help them feel ambitious and excited and actually able to grow themselves. So just before I come to the final question, I've got to ask you, where did the fabulous name Neon Juno come from? <laughs> Many of you chamber members will know Chris Menloff-Platt, and he's been a friend of mine for absolutely ages. He used to describe me as quite sparky in terms of my curiosity and ideas and where I go. And so neon represents that brightness, that ideas, imagination. And then over the last years, I was preparing and building up the new business. I'd realised how much I'd learned with two decades of leadership management, with an MBA from a leading business school globally, and with all the learning. It's like, okay, and all the mistakes that I've made, (laughs) and all the successes that I've made. So it's a sense of wisdom, really, about what I know about leadership and strategy and how it works. And so Juno represents that. So it's really bright and sparky and playful, but actually grounded in good old-fashioned knowledge and experience. So final question before I release you back into the world. If you had one piece of advice for our listeners, for our business community, what would it be? Take the time every now and again to stop. Stop and focus and breathe and own that moment. And sometimes working with somebody else or finding a mentor can help you to do that. Just to step away from the busyness Take stock, work out where you're going, work out where your strengths are. I know what it's like to be caught in reactive mode. You know, Beacon Medical, we're offering 200,000 appointments a year to 40,000 patients. And there's always a fresh challenge or emergency. So I know what it's like to feel caught on that hamster wheel. But actually, as a leader, you're strongest when you stop and take stock of that. So, you know, just take time to breathe, work out where you're going, move on. I think that's a really good message. I think my poor team dread whenever I have a rare holiday or break because my mind clears and then I suddenly have all these ideas and come rushing back in with, right, I've been thinking about it. We could do this, that and the other, you know. So it is important to do that strategic bit, isn't it? Just to give yourself time to think. Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your time. I could talk to you for hours. Unfortunately, I can't. But thank you once again. Good luck with Neon Juno. And please do keep in touch. Thank you, Claire Oakway. Thank you. Conversation With is produced by Fresh Air Studios. Full audio production services for podcasts, live links, and corporate communications. Visit freshairstudios.com. Presented by Stuart Elford. Produced and engineered by Paul Philpot. Edited and mixed by Martin Burgess-Moon. Production support by Lisa Hartwell. Copyright Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and Fresh Air Studios Limited. All rights reserved.